Good morning. The first reading today is from Isaiah 58, verses 2 through 14. That's on page 735 of the Bibles under your pew. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Our second reading is from Micah 6, 6 to 8. It's page 923. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with him, come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? 
Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. This is the first Sunday in the Christian season of Lent. And as you heard this morning, the season is a time where the church journeys with Jesus toward his cross, all the while aware that the cross is not only Jesus's way, but the way of all those who desire to follow him as well. As Jesus reminded his disciples, if anyone wants to be his disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow him. It is this following after Jesus which inspires the practice of fasting. That fasting is in fact the practice of denying ourselves, choosing to abstain from something which brings us false or cheap comfort in the hope that we might follow Jesus more closely on on the way to the cross, that we might identify the cross that we have been given to carry, that we might truly be his disciples. This practice of fasting has successfully latched itself on to the season of Lent. Who here has decided to fast from something in Lent? Just raise your hand if you're doing that. Yeah, there's some, there are some people and a lot of you are like, I, I don't know what this is about. Why are we doing that? But it's a cultural phenomenon still to abstain from one thing or another for Lent. And often, if people know nothing else about the season, they know about fasting. This was confirmed for me just this past week when after the Ash Wednesday service, a few people joined me at a local restaurant and somebody seeing the ashes on our foreheads had a plethora of questions for us about Ash Wednesday and Lent. But this person already knew about fasting, already knew that a common question to ask during this season is, what are you giving up for Lent? And, the, and her friend quickly interjected and declared that this year for Lent, he had given up the practice of asking others what they were giving up for Lent. People know that this is somehow tied to this season, giving something up, choosing to refrain from something common in our lives. This is a central practice of this season, but it's also one that's terribly misunderstood. Last Saturday in the Knox Weekly email, I shared a piece of my experience of this as a child. I remember almost annually declaring that I was giving up chocolate for Lent. I don't think chocolate was a particularly large part of my life. It might have been, but I know for certain that I made no concerted effort to actually give up chocolate for Lent. It was just an easy, convenient answer to a question that was sometimes asked. And then the beginning of Lent would pass, and with it, any memories of the fast that I had chosen for myself. As far as I know, I have never actually given up chocolate for Lent. But what if I had? What if I was a more diligent child and was able to first remember the commitment that I had made, and second, to actually adhere to it? What would 40 days without chocolate have produced in my life? What new spiritual depths would I have reached? What new heights of worship would our God have received? How much closer to Jesus would I be in following him? Is to abstain from chocolate what it means to deny myself? 
Is a lack of chocolate the cross that I really must bear to truly follow Jesus? Probably not. In all likelihood, my fast from chocolate, even if it had been successful, would have produced no meaningful change in my life. No meaningful change in my discipleship, in my capacity to follow Jesus. It would have been a meaningless fast. And I would have gorged myself on chocolate again on Easter morning, grateful that the benevolence of the Easter bunny had saved me from the drought of chocolate I had recently endured. In Isaiah 58, we encounter the same problem in the people of Israel. They have been fasting, really fasting, more than just chocolate. They've given up food, and it's produced no change in their lives. And they've wondered, why are we fasting at all? God doesn't notice. It doesn't change anything for us. What is the point of this tradition? Where has all this fasting gotten us? And God, as he often does, likes to answer a question with a question. And God asks a question in return, saying, Is this the fast that I have chosen? God might have been asking the same thing about me and my many chocolate fasts. God may be asking the same thing of you and the fast that you've chosen in this season or the things that maybe you're still contemplating giving up. Is this the fast that I have chosen? Sure, you give up chocolate, but you gorge yourself on gummy candies. You give up Netflix, but you find new rabbit holes of YouTube videos to watch. You give up social media, but only your main account, and not Facebook Messenger. And you definitely go back after Lent to see what you missed in the last 40 days and like everything. Right? You give up chocolate and coffee, but you complain about it at every turn. And you allow it to make you unbearably irritable for everybody around you. Is this the fast that I have chosen? Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. We give things up. We choose to give things up, but we give up the wrong things. Or we give up the right things, but maybe for the wrong reasons. Or we give something up and we replace those things that have been idols in our lives with fresh idols and new distractions just as quickly. And this isn't the thing that our God has invited us to. This isn't the work of God's Spirit among us. God desires a fast, but it's not the easy fast that we've picked. Jesus says to deny ourselves, but not in the way that's convenient for us. God calls us to a bigger sacrifice than we want to think about. Jesus invites us to follow his cross-shaped way closer than could allow us to be comfortable. Because It's only in taking on Jesus' way, in adhering to the fast that God has chosen for us, that we will find that there's any change happening in our lives at all, that anything has changed in the world around us at all, either. And so that's why this season of Lent, our sermon series at our church, will be about exactly this, about giving it up. It will be centered on Isaiah 58, where we will be listening for the voice of God calling us to the fast that God has chosen, a fast which challenges us to give up the comforts which distract us 
from the trouble of our life and the troubles of our world, which calls us to turn away from how we participate in evil or leverage it to our own advantage, to believe that the things we treasure now are meager things in comparison to the amazing riches of God's coming kingdom, and to believe the truth that God is making a a way for us to live into that kingdom even now, even on the road with Jesus, even in the cross itself. So giving it up, fasting, denying ourselves is the first step in a process by which God calls us to take on new things. Denying ourselves makes us capable of carrying our cross. Fasting allows us to see the things that we've been missing along the way and to pay attention to the invitations of Jesus to follow him. Giving something up makes space for finding something far better in its place. It's only as we take on that better work and we leave that evil work aside that we'll find any change in the injustices which surround us. In our scripture passage this morning, we heard about the deep religious devotion of a nation, striving to get God's attention and God, and seeking that God might intervene to save them, save them from the ropes of injustice which bound them. And God seems to respond that they're the ones who've tied themselves up, that the fast he requires of them is actually to stop tying more knots, that they're harming each other, and in so doing, they are hurting themselves as well. That when they start to actually care about their neighbor again, it's only then that their light will break forth like the dawn and that God will show up when they cry for help because they're actually people who are for the first time seeking God's way and not just people play-acting their religious devotion. Throughout the Old Testament, You know, that part of the Bible that us Christians like to imagine is just full of obligations and religious ritual. In that part of the Bible, God consistently makes it clear that it's not acts of great religious devotion that he requires. That these acts, yeah, of trying to get God's attention are not the things that impress him. Here, we heard about how fasting from food, but feasting on the fruit of wickedness, that means nothing to God. This is actually one of the central theses of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 1 begins this conversation by saying, you know, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate them with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Church, a fast for the sake of a fast, God's not interested. Lent, because we've always observed Lent, God doesn't care. 
Rather, Lent provides us the opportunity to abandon the patterns that have made us comfortable all the rest of the year with all the evil and injustice in our lives and and the world around us and to choose again to participate in something better. As we heard from Micah this morning, the things that God requires of us, those things are as simple as they are difficult. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. To act justly, we have to give up actions of injustice. To love mercy, we have to give up our love for revenge and our desire for retribution. To walk humbly with our God, we must give up our pride, give up our own way, walk the cross-laden path with our Lord. But it's not all this hard and heavy news. Because I hope you heard that there's a promise in Isaiah 58. That if we choose the fast that God has chosen for us, if we choose God's fast, we will rebuild ancient ruins. We will raise up the age-old foundations and we will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. That's big news. Those are beautiful names. Those are names we might expect to call our God, the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. This is who our God is, but God isn't interested in retaining these titles for himself. Our God wants to share in that restorative work. God wants us not only to stop destroying ancient ruins, but God wants us to begin the process of repairing them ourselves that we would join with God on the journey of building his city with foundations, where young and old are safe together in the streets where God himself lives among us. But in order to do that, we need to give up the destruction that we've become prone to in order to have the new capacity to repair anything at all. Destruction is easy. And I'm sure we've all felt how good it can feel to smash a wall, right? That can be a really fun and good feeling, but it's fleeting and you just need to keep smashing walls to enjoy that feeling. And repair work, it can be difficult, but it has a deeper joy in the finished product. There's something lasting, something far better in it. Those of you who raised your hands earlier, I want to say to you, it's not a problem if you're fasting from chocolate or from social media or from anything that you might have chosen for yourself, as long as in that fast you are noticing the unhealthy ways that you relate to the thing that you're abstaining from, and that you use this fast as an opportunity to join in God's reconciling work. On the second page of your bulletin, there's a great, great quote, and it's pretty long, but I'll share an excerpt of it now. It's from the 4th century Christian saint, John Chrysostom. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople, and he writes, Fasting is the change of every part of our life, because the sacrifice of the fast is not the abstinence. The sacrifice of the fast is not the abstinence, but it is the distancing from sins. Therefore, whoever limits the fast to the deprivation of food, he is the one, in reality, who abhors and ridicules the fast. 
If we're fasting, we ought to find that our whole life is being transformed. And the sacrifice that we make in this fast is not simply to give something up. It's not the abstinence, but it is in fact that we are distancing ourselves from a sin that we may be prone toward. If our fast is just chocolate for chocolate's sake, don't bother. If our fast is just for the sake of the tradition of Lent, only the deprivation of something and not to address a sin in our life or the needs of others around us, then we make a mockery of the Lenten season. And the question that God asks is the same that we read in Isaiah 58. Is this what you call a fast? Is this the fast that I have chosen? Over the next five weeks, we will be exploring what the fast our God has chosen really is. Even while we fast a fast from food or some tangible thing that leads us towards sin, we will also be working through the things that God has called us to fast from. To fast from quarreling and unjust actions. To fast from selfishness and gossip and going our own way. How giving up each of these things enables us to take on a better way, a cross-shaped way that transforms us and makes a difference in the lives of those around us. We'll see how the fast that God has chosen for us leads to the flourishing of this whole world. And I admit, it's a curious thing that I'm talking about. This fast that leads to abundance this relinquishing that leads to picking up, this way of dying that leads to life. But this is the very heart of of the gospel of our Lord. This is the way that God's Spirit has worked in our world in all generations. And we should expect to experience God's continued work in no other way, not in religious ritual, not in acting out our own piety, not in mastering our appetites and cravings, Indeed, this Lenten season invites us to that sacred way of following Jesus once more. And I pray that you will choose to join us on this journey, to overcome your aversion to this fast, and to see how this ancient tradition can form you to become more like Christ. And maybe you're already choosing into the fast, and so for you, I would welcome you to lay aside the cultural and religious baggage or the ways that you've always engaged with Lent, and to choose to hear the voice of God announcing what he requires of us, reminding us of the fast that he has chosen for us. In this fast, in this way of following Jesus, which is to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily, in all these things, our God promises that there is a feast of goodness on the other side. This is really what the table that's set before us reminds us of, that unexpected way of dying that leads to abundant life, a beautiful reminder that even in fasting, we can and will be filled by our God with better things, with greater things, that even in denying ourselves, we might discover our truest self in Him, that even in carrying our cross, we can realize the joy of our Lord. May we be faithful companions of Christ on this road to the cross, that in our lives and by our prayers, God's kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven.
Amen. Would you pray with me, church? God, we want you to show up. We want you to show up in our lives and in our world, but we want you to do it on our terms. We want our fast to be the fast you've chosen. We want our way to be your way. And this is not the way of the cross. This is not the way of discipleship. This is not the way of Jesus. And so we pray as we embark on this Lenten journey as a community and individually, that you would open our imaginations, that we would see the kinds of fasts that you have invited each of us into, that you have invited our church into, and that we would have the capacity and the bravery and the trust in you and your goodness to adhere to your fast, to allow you to transform our lives to become more like Jesus again in this season and see the cross for the beautiful way of life that it is. We ask this in the name of our Lord, who we long to follow more closely. Amen.